Well, good morning and happy Lord's Day. Welcome to uh, Cornerstone Reformed Church, Makati. If you have been attending our church uh, for a while now, especially the, the uh, recent Sundays, you know that we have been going through um, a short series uh, on the book of Jonah. We are now on uh, chapter 3. And so just an overview of Jonah. Uh, it's in, in the minor prophet section. It's called a minor prophet, not because of it's minor in ranking, but minor in content, right? It's, uh, it's, a, short, uh, it's a short book, uh, and it stands differently from all other minor prophets because it's, it's, it's a narrative, uh, and it doesn't really say much on the judgment on the people, but more of the work of God in the life of Jonah. So as you know, uh, the, the book, uh, Jonah, is the prophet called by God to preach at Nineveh. And I mentioned this uh, already two Sundays ago. Uh, Nineveh is a foreign land. Uh, and Jonah was called by God to preach against that land, that country. He disobeyed, got swallowed by a big fish. Uh, last Sunday, we, we talked about his prayer and what you will see, what you will notice in these four chapters, um, we see God is concerned with Nineveh as he is concerned with Noah. In fact, there's more, God is dealing more in these four chapters with Noah than with Nineveh. And, and through this, uh, uh, through this call uh, in the life of, of uh, Jonah uh, to pronounce judgment on Nineveh, God is also teaching him and by extension, us, what repentance looks like. What repentance looks like. And, and why is this important to us today? I mean, we don't use the word uh, repentance very often uh, in our ordinary day-to-day -day language. Why is it important to understand how uh, the city, the, the, the town of Nineveh repented? What does it mean for us today? Well, individually, it will help us reflect on our, own, um, on our own life if we are walking in true repentance. But uh, and I want to emphasize this collectively. You know, we need to be reminded that the church's identity is that we are a collection. We are a gathering of repentant sinners. That's all we are. We are repentant sinners. And repentance is the way to God's grace. Apart from it, we cease to exist as a church. If there's no repentance in the church, we might as well be called just a, an association or a non-profit organization or a social work. Without repentance, we cease to exist as a church. And, and, and that, is, you know, that is really important because if you think about it throughout the history of the church, you know, in, in, in 2,000 years, the, the church's existence have been threatened by persecution, by war, ridicule, a change in culture, a change in, you know, the, the dynamics of history, and yet the church still exists, right? The church was not destroyed by anything external that was coming against it. But you know, I think, and this is just a personal observation, I think what can slowly kill the church is the presence of false conversion and false repentance. 
that a church can look like a church from, from the outside, but when there is no true repentance, when the church is full of false converts, that church is slowly dying. And I hope that will be, you know, this, our, our chapter today will be a reminder and assessment of what true repentance looks like. And what we see here in, in chapter 3 is not just a picture of true repentance. We will also see that repentance is costly. Repentance is costly. And that's basically the big idea of our uh, sermon today. It is costly to those who preach it. Uh, it is costly to Jonah and every uh, person who carries the gospel forward. It is costly, especially to the people who need to repent. It demands a lot from our lives. And it is costly to God himself. It's costly to God himself. And I will explain that later on. And that will lead us to, you know, seeing that it is costly to God himself leads us to the gospel message as well. So here's the, the outline of our sermon today. We say that repentance is costly. And we will look at three things, the requirement uh, for repentance, the response of those who repent, and the result uh, of that repentance, all right? So those are the key words that we have today, the requirement, the response of the repentant, and the result. Let's look at them one by one. Uh, what is required uh, in, for true repentance to happen? Well, Repentance requires the preaching of God's word. Repentance requires the preaching of God's word. Let me read again our text. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, because the first time Jonah disobeyed, but you notice that the message and the commissioning does not change. Even though Jonah disobeyed the call for him, and the message does not change. What was, the, uh, what was the instruction? Go to Nineveh, the great city. So basically, you know, God is just uh, repeating his call in chapter 1. Call out against it, meaning preach against it, the message that I tell you. Highlight that in your Bible. The message that I tell you. And we see a different response from Jonah this time. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord. And we see a description of Nineveh. It was a great city. It could mean it's a progressive city. It could also mean it's a very big city. In fact, we see it's a three days journey. So if you go through the whole uh, city of Nineveh, it's uh, worth three days walk. Walang grab, walang ano, walang car. And Jonah began to go into the city, going in a day's journey. And what was the message? He preached or he called out. Yet, he's, here's the whole preaching. Here's the whole preaching. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the whole preaching. This might be the shortest preaching ever. <laughs> Can you imagine if that is the way I preach Sunday after Sunday? <laughs> I come in and I say, you know, 40 days, we will be overthrown. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. 
tapos ang, pre, ang sermon natin in, in less than you know, 30 minutes. It's short, right? That's, a, that's a shorter than a TED Talk. <laughs> it's not only short, this, the message seems incomplete, right? He's just talking about the destruction of Nineveh with a timeline. Pastor, kulang yung gospel presentation niya. It doesn't talk about creation, fall, redemption, renewal. It doesn't talk about Jesus Christ. It, this, is a, this is an incomplete gospel presentation. What else? It's not only short, it, doesn't, it, it seems incomplete, it seems harsh. It doesn't sound like, you know, the, the preaching that we hear today. That you are loved. That God loves you just the way you are. That you can do better. Seems unloving. You know, just if, can you imagine if Jonah is preaching today in 2022? I would imagine he would be immediately be bullied on social media. He would be called crazy. He would immediately be canceled. We would associate Jonah as the guy who has that, you know, build uh, placard that says, you're going to hell. <laughs> and people would say, you know, if that is the, it's not only a, you know, a, a ridicule to Jonah, it's a ridicule to the God that he worshipped. Because uh, people would say, if that is the God that Jonah worships, very unloving, very harsh, I don't want that God. It's such a vengeful God. And we have that kind of, you know, something going on in recent weeks, right? Someone said a really strong message that is faithful to the Bible. And people said, if that is the message of the Bible, then I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want that God that that lady worships. Is that what this is all about? Is, is, is this message reflect the vengeful God in the Old Testament? Well, I beg to disagree. You know, it seems offensive and unloving for God to send someone uh, to proclaim a message of seemingly hate or, or judgment. But you know, in fact, it reveals the mercy of God. Because despite their evil ways, even though God could have righteously destroyed them without any warning, God brought them a preacher to warn them of his judgment, to give them an opportunity to repent. If God is just a vengeful God, he would not have brought Jonah to Nineveh. If God was just such a vengeful God and just wants Nineveh to be destroyed without any opportunity to repent, if Jonah disobeyed, God would have said, okay, tapos na. <laughs> I'll, I'll, since my preacher does not want to go to Nineveh, I'll just destroy Nineveh. But God made a way for Jonah to still go to Nineveh because God wants Nineveh to repent. And that's an evidence of his mercy, no matter how 
offensive the message is, it's God's way for them to repent. And despite the seemingly short, incomplete, harsh message, pangit ng preaching ni, ni, ni Jonah, hindi, hindi, expos, hindi, uh, hindi expository. You know what happened? Nineveh repented. The city repented. How I wish we can have short preachings and people repent, <laughs> right? But let me contrast that with a different preaching. And this, this we find in the New Testament, uh, the preaching of Peter, the first preaching of Peter in Acts chapter 2. The whole preaching of Peter when after Pentecost, uh, Peter's preaching was more expository. He was talking about creation. He was talking about the prophets. He was talking about what happened to Jesus. And he ended, this Jesus that you crucified is Lord and Messiah. That's a better preaching, I would say. And you know what happened in that time, in, in that preaching? The, the text says in Acts chapter 2, people will, were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and believe this good news. So you have two preachings. One is such a short message. In Hebrew, it's just five words. And then you have a whole expository preaching of Peter. Very comprehensive. Very long. And you have the same result. Why did people repent? Was it because of the length of the message? I don't think so, right? Magkaiba yung length. Was it because of the content of the message? Maybe because they were faithful to the message? People repented because Jonah and Peter was preaching according to the word of God. That's what we see in Acts chapter 3. When, when God said to Jonah to preach, uh, the, preach against Nineveh, preach something that I will tell you. Preach something according to my word. You know, friends, God has ordained the preaching, the proclaiming of his word, to be the means for people to come to repentance. And, and here's, you know, I, I want us to keep this in mind. Without the preaching of God's word, there can be no real repentance. Without the preaching of God's word, there can be no real repentance. But here's a question. What if Nineveh did not repent? What if after Jonah preached for the whole day walking along the walls of, of Nineveh, uh, calling them out and saying, you know, in 40 days the city will be destroyed. What if after that people would just cancel him? What if, uh, you know, people would just consider him crazy? Does that mean the preaching of God's word was useless? Does that mean it was ineffective? 
What do you think? Ayan na naman, mga question ni Pastor. You know, if, if the, after preaching uh, this message, if after preaching uh, the message of Jonah, and if Nineveh did not repent, then when God actually judges them, they are without any excuse. They cannot say, hey God, I did not know that you will destroy us. And so that means the message of Jonah is still effective because it, the message becomes a witness against them. You know, brothers and sisters, on the final day, no one will say that God did not give them a chance to repent. No one will say on, on, on the final day that they will, they will look at God and say, well, I did not hear the gospel. I did not... You did not give me a chance to repent. And that has always been the argument of, of many people. Uh, the argument that, you know, there are many indigenous people that are far from civilization. Those who have not heard the gospel, what about them? They did not have a fair chance to, to, to hear the good news, to be converted, to become Christians. Well, this is the assurance of Jesus himself. When Jesus talked about the end times, this is what he said in Matthew 24, uh, in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. You know what that means? Each and every person will have at least once heard the gospel. And so no one will stand before the judgment throne and say, I did not know. What does that mean to us today? Well, number one, because repentance requires the preaching of God's word and this message is meant to be preached to every tribe, tongues, and nation, it requires, it, it, it underscores the importance of cross-cultural mission. That we must really go into the ends of the earth so that everyone will have no excuse. So that everyone will hear either a judgment against them or a comfort of a savior. So, you know, that, that encourages us the, the value of, of missions today. Uh, I think it was John Piper who said, missions exist because worship does not. There are places where, you know, people are worshiping idols. And even, I'm not talking about just, you know, uh, indigenous people worshiping woods and, 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 and rocks. Even in cities, people are worshiping idols. The idol of success, the idol of beauty, the idol of significance, the idol of personal experience, the idol of self. 
And so we must go to, you know, to every tribe, tongues, and nation. People, God will always appoint people like Jonah and, and prophets and missionaries and, 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 and evangelists to proclaim the good news of the gospel. But here's something closer. Think about the privileges that we have in our context. We're talking about indigenous people who have no access to, uh, immediate access to, uh, to the gospel. What about us? We have overwhelming access to the gospel. There's no restriction. Our, our, our lives are not in danger to go to church. We don't have to gather in hiding. We have that privilege to be, to exercise our religious freedom. And for many of us, we have heard the gospel week after week after week. And you've heard that biblical principle, right? Much is given, much is required, right? If you have been given much, there's, uh, you are required much. And that also applies to what we hear week after week after week. We have heard the gospel. You have heard the gospel. And that means, friends, we have no excuse. We either repent or receive the judgment that is coming at us. And so, Again, repentance requires uh, the preaching of God's word. And, and this is costly to a gospel messenger because it demands faithfulness, first and foremost, to the instruction of God. He must not deviate to what God is telling him. He must speak according to God's word. And uh, if I may say, you know, this, this message does not give us the green light to be harsh and unloving and you know, if, if you want me to talk more about that, I, we can talk, um, you know, in, after, after the sermon because, you know, mapapahaba if I talk further. But, you know, this is not green light for us to be harsh and unloving with our gospel message because we already have the full message of the gospel revealed in Christ. So we can communicate the gospel differently with, compared to Jonah. But granted, this seems to be a hard message. But I would imagine Jonah preaching this message with passion. Forty days in Nineveh will be destroyed. I would imagine that he is excited to preach this message for the wrong reasons, if I may speculate. Again, keep in mind, Jonah is... A Hebrew and Nineveh is, is part of a Syrian uh, kingdom. So basically, this is an enemy country. So it, it, it excites him to tell them, you will be destroyed. He likes the message because it gives him the chance to gloat over their, this foreign enemy territory, to tell them, I told you so. To rub it in their faces that they were wrong and he is right. And we will see that next, sun, uh, next, next Sunday when we finish uh, Jonah 4. He 
He wants to rub it in their faces. But you know what happened? What happened next was something that he did not want to happen. Nineveh actually repented. They repented. And it was a radical response. And, and this leads us to our, our point number two. Repentance uh, demands a change of life. This is the response that we see with Nineveh. And this is the response that we must see in our lives. Look at uh, verse 5. People of Nineveh believed God before they actually did anything else. They believed God, meaning they believed the message that Jonah said was from God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth, so meaning they were grieving, all of them from greatest to least. Regardless of social status, they believed God. And, and uh, take note of this section, verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself uh, with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. You know, in, I'll get back to this uh, later on, but this is a very crucial part of the message because the king did not just order everyone else to repent. The king did not say, although we do not know if this is an actual king of Assyria or a governor of Nineveh, but the text says the king, the king did not just say, oh, I, I saw a preacher named Jonah talking about the destruction of the city. All of you repent. He was part of it. He was part of that repentance. And if the king does it, if the king repents, there's no question. There's, you, you, there's no negotiation that will happen. They will just repent. And this is what he did. Verse 7, he issued a proclamation and published uh, through Nineveh. This, this is the decree. Let neither man nor beast, herd or, or, nor flock taste anything, meaning they're, going, uh, they're fasting. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. You know, this is, you know, this is a very extensive description of how the community responded. And it implies to us that their repentance was real. This is legit. They understood the message and they responded accordingly, even though the message did not say the word repent. Do you notice? It did not say the word repent, but it's implied with the message of judgment. And they knew what repentance entails. It entails a change of life. A change of life. You know, our, our, our son Noah, it, sidebar lang, it's, it's not good to, to, to make illustrations about your family, by the way. <laughs> because when Noah grows up, he will remember this sermon and said, why did you throw me under the bus? <laughs> but, you know, because I'm preaching, I can... <laughs> You know, Noah knows how to uh, knows how to say sorry now. He knows how to say sorry. 
but he says it in the wrong context. He will say sorry, sorry, with apologetic, ano pa, yung may, may, may acting pa, sorry. He will say that while continuing to do what we told him not to do. He will say sorry, sorry, while doing something bad. <laughs> because he just knows that what he is, he is doing is something that we uh, told him not to do. That for him is, you know, his, his way to, to tell us that he's, he feels bad about what he's doing, but he's doing it anyway. <laughs> You know, we may have this notion that repentance is like that. That repentance is feeling sorry for our wrongdoings. Sorry, Lord, but I still want to do it anyway. Sorry, Lord, but it, this just feels so good. Well, that is not the biblical concept of repentance. Maybe a portion of it, but that's not the entirety of repentance. It is more than that. More than feeling sorry, repentance is an act. An act. And yes, it's an act, meaning it's something that we do, but we can also use that as an acronym to further elaborate what repentance means, to elaborate the response of a repentant person. So keep that in mind, yung rep repentance is an act, A-C-T, I'll elaborate. Here's what repentance means. A, it means agreeing with God, admitting to God, and that's what uh, Ninevites did. They believed God. After the preaching, verse 5, said, very briefly it says, the people believe God. To agree with God is to recognize that what he says through his messenger is true. And repentance then means we measure ourselves according to what God says, not what other Christians or other people are doing. We will not say, well, I don't have to repent because there's a, a far worse person than I am. We measure ourselves according to what God says, and what God says, we are bound for destruction, and we agree with God with that and admitting to God means that you recognize that he has the authority and the the power to bring this judgment to us so letter a and i will always mention two keywords here letter a agreeing with god and admitting to god our sin letter c is confessing and condemning sin and that's basically what uh, the Ninevites did. They, they cried out to God and they were crying out to God with sackcloth and ashes. Basically, they're, they're grieving and they were mourning uh, of the sin that they have, of the evil ways that they were doing. They were fasting. You know, it just shows us, it tells us that they are taking their sin before God and they are taking it very seriously. They recognize that this is, this is a, uh, a grievous uh, 
uh, offense to the Lord and so they are confessing it to the Lord and they are condemning the sin that is within them. And for a royalty, for someone who is uh, the king to even be part of this, to remove his robe, to put on sackcloth, is a big deal. Like he, he is, he's valuing more the message of God here more than his status. So again, what's A? Agreeing and admitting to God. What's letter C? Confessing and condemning. Here's letter T. Turning and trusting. Turning and trusting. What does the decree include? It, it includes for everyone to turn from their evil way. And that's essentially what repentance is. To turn from evil way. You know what's interesting? If you have your hard copy Bible, soft copy Bible, you know, scan through the whole chapter and you will not see the word repent or repentance in that chapter. Perhaps the title, if you're using an ESV Bible, it will say Nineveh repents. But the titles, those titles are, are not included in the, in, in the original manuscript. So basically, the whole text does not use the word repent. And why are we talking about repentance if it does not say anything about repentance? Well, the Hebrew understanding of repentance is to, you know, uh, if you have an image, it's, uh, if you have an illustration, it's a person lying prostrate uh, to, to someone uh, with dust and ashes. You will, you, will, you will look miserable. That's the Hebrew concept of repentance. Not only that, there is also a, uh, it, not only it involves emotion and grieving, it also involves uh, returning, making things right. And there's a, a different concept a Greek concept, slightly different concept of repentance. The Greek understanding of repentance does not really involve emotion or action. It involves a change of mind. Kasi yan ang emphasis ng mga Greeks, eh, yung, yung perspective. A change of uh, a, your view on things. And you know what? Both the Greek and Hebrew perspective or, or, or understanding of repentance is present in the response of Nineveh. There was a change of perspective when they believed God. There was a, uh, a mourning and a grieving for the, whole nation, for the whole city. And there's also a resolve to turn away from violence. They want to make things right. You know what's common with uh, the Hebrew or the Greek understanding of repentance is this word, turn. Turn. That's why, do you know what's the, you know, for Tagalog speaking people, do you know what's the Tagalog word for repentance? Sisi? What else?
Yan ang, ang common sa atin is yung uh, pagsisisi. Right? Pagsisisi. There's actually a better word that's more consistent with the biblical uh, translation. Pagbabalik loob. You are turning away. Turning away. Pagbabalik loob. Because that's what repentance is truly is all about. But there's more. It's not just the turning, but also the trusting. You're turning away from evil, but you're also trusting God in this repentance. And here's a very interesting, uh, I find it very fascinating uh, part of this uh, repentance. Verse 9. Here's what uh, the king mentioned in this decree. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Do you notice that? Even though they, they already made a big deal of their repentance, they were fasting, they, they were wearing sackcloth, there was ashes, they're turning from their violence. They're doing everything that what repentance looks like. But they did not say, because of what we did, we are guaranteed mercy. Do you notice that? They're, they're, they're still saying, still not up to us. Even though we did the work of repentance, who knows? God may be merciful to us. And friends, that's, that's, a, you know, that's a very important thing to, to, to remind ourselves because true repentance is a hopeful surrender to God. Knowing that all actions we take to set things right does not twist the arm of God. It does not demand God to return the favor simply because we did what is expected of us. That's why people are, you know, commonly experiencing false repentance because we, we expect that because we did these things, because, you know, I wrote my sin on a piece of paper and I burned it on fire, God, you know, God is required to, to be merciful to me. The king did not say, oh, uh, Jonah, this, uh, this is a checklist. We did this, we did this, we did this. So God owes us mercy. They did not say that. True repentance recognizes that we are still at the mercy of God, whether he will forgive us or not. And the good news is, he looks, God looks at these people, God looks at our hearts, and because God saw that their repentance was genuine, it resulted in his mercy. The mercy was not earned because of what they did. The mercy was still given by God out of pure grace. Because even though they repented, God would have said, well, you still deserve to be destroyed. And instead, what they received was mercy. 
And that leads us to our third and final point. This is the result. The result of true repentance, it calls for God's mercy. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. In other words, God canceled the destruction plan. Allah, pastor, does God change his mind? Doesn't the Bible tell us that God does not change? Does, that, does this narrative tell us that we can change the mind of God? That when we, you know, we, when we repent enough, when we pray enough, the plan of God will change? What do you think? <laughs> Is this the proof text that God changes his mind? Because the text says God relented. In other words, God changed his mind. You know, uh, many explanations, if you have a study Bible, will use this word, and it's, it's good to be reminded of this. The language is anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic. It's a big word, but it's, 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 it's good to understand that, as, especially when you're going through uh, the Old Testament. It's, it's basically using the language that is familiar to human characteristics. You are using human uh, characteristics to understand God. For, for example, when we talk about the arms of God, yeah. or God hears uh, the call of uh, Israelites. That's anthropomorphic language. It helps us understand what God was doing at that time. But it does not necessarily mean that God has ears like us or arms like us. But the point here, the point here is that instead of justice, God gave them mercy. They received mercy from God. And I said, this is costly even to God himself. Why? Why was mercy costly to God? Let me illustrate. If you, know, if you went into a project, if you have a contract, about 200,000, you did all your part, you, you're faithful with the contract, you did all the work, and your client did not pay. Your client did not pay. And the client was not able to really pay. He is unable to pay. Even if you sue that person, there's really nothing that he can give to, to pay you back. So you're, you're in debt for, for 200,000 pesos. And you say, because you're a Christian person, <laughs> you say you, your debt is forgiven. Your 200,000 debt, you don't have to pay. Does the 200,000 vanish in the air? Even though the client will not pay 200,000 pesos, I take the cause of that. 
I am experiencing the cost of 200,000. I will still have to pay my employees 200, the, the cost of that. I am taking the cost even though you will not have to pay. So, yung, yung cost does not vanish in the air. Someone else is taking that in your place. Friends, that's what happened with Nineveh. That's what God did. He is not just withholding the judgment, the justice. When he gave mercy to Nineveh, he does not negate justice. And, and this is very important because God cannot and does not violate his own nature. Keep in mind, God is both merciful and just. He does not switch from being merciful, from being just. When he bestows mercy, he takes on the judgment himself. That's what Nineveh received. When God extended mercy to Nineveh, he did not cancel justice. He is just taking it upon himself. And you know, that's the beauty of the gospel. Because that, because that was ultimate, ultimately displayed on the cross. That the justice of God was not canceled. It was just bestowed on someone who can carry it. In, and in that place, the people who put their trust in that man on the cross receives mercy instead. Yes, you receive salvation is free gift of God, but it has a cost. You're not just taking it, it has a cost. You know, God requires, and this is universally true, God requires that his justice be satisfied. The claims of his justice must be paid in full. It must be paid by e either by ourselves or by another. It's never canceled. Friends, those who repent is someone who believes and trusts that the justice that he rightfully deserves was paid by another. That's the one who repents. He understands and he believes and he trusts that I deserve the justice of God. Uh, I, 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 I rightfully deserve this judgment, but it was paid by another. And that another is Jesus Christ. Christ is that king who willfully removed his royal robes, who took on the clothes of humanity, he became the man of sorrows. But unlike the king of Nineveh, he has no sin to repent from because he has no sin. What he did was to take all the sin of the world so that through him, we can turn away from our sin and experience true repentance. This is the good news, friends. And if I may end by what the Bible tells us, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. 
you have an opportunity to repent. Friends, today we have no excuse. We either repent or face the judgment of God. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before you just like Nineveh, that we are, we have judgment and justice coming at us, that we deserve this judgment, that we have been living in our evil way, that we think that to make things right is to, to work our way to good things, but we only add debt to our misery. And so just like Nineveh, we come before you in ashes and sackcloth, asking for your mercy. Lord, bestow upon us true repentance. May this church, may everyone here in this gathering experience true repentance from you that we will agree the, of the gravity of our sin, that we will admit of our sin, that we will confess and condemn the evil ways that we have done and that we will turn away from it and that we will trust you more and more. Lord, may we be a people that, we, that live repentant lives, that what is constant in our walk is that you are constantly shaping us, sanctifying us, and that we are walking in repentance until the end. Lord, we thank you that the penalty of our sin was paid by another. The penalty that we cannot carry was paid by our Savior. May we put our trust in him more and more. In his name we pray. Amen.